Well, in 1 John chapter 3, he concludes this chapter with encouragement. Good encouragement, encouragement that we all need. He wants his children to know that they are on the right path. He really wants them to get this. And he does it by pointing them all, out all the ways that they can know it for sure. And so if you're able, please stand together for the reading of God's Word. Again, it's 1 John 3, and we'll be looking at verses 18 to 24. John says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for this word. These brief moments that we have, and we ask that you would keep your promise that you would not allow your word to return void, that you would accomplish all that you send it out to do this morning. We pray that you would convict us where conviction is needed. We pray that you would comfort us, and we pray that you would conform us to the image of your Son by this word. Again, Lord, do all that you intend. And even as we ask this, we, we know that you can do and will do more than we ask or can't even imagine. We come as your children, seeking you. In Christ's name, amen. Assurance. Assurance. Assurance connotes having confidence and certainty about something. We all want assurance. Yeah? Wouldn't you like some assurance? You'd like some assurances. You'd like assurance that the light bill is only going to go this high. Yeah? Or that the phone bill will only be this high. Those nasty taxes and other things that come into that. We want assurances. The word assurance, assurance, it just sort of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Assurance. It has the sound or the feel, I don't know, I, it, has this, it's, it has a comforting feel to it. Assurance. Say it with me. Assurance. It sounds like a big soft pillow. Really, whenever I say assurance, whenever I think... I, you remember the old Downey commercials, right? With the little kid falling and the blankets, just, they're just so fluff and they fold in. That's assurance. When I think of assurance, that's what it feels like. 
Well, also, assurance has a different feel. Assurance, you know, it has that really nice, soft, fluffy, comforting feel, but it also has this other feel. You know, where he wants assur- I will give you assurances. It feels this, like this sort of stable, right, secure kind of foundation or a firm foundation. That's what assurance does for us. It gives us some comfort. It brings a sense of security. So it's no wonder that we want it or that we'd like it. But it's the very thing that many, if not most, but probably all of you struggle with. We struggle with it at one point or another to greater or lesser degrees at different points in your life or maybe in the day. Right? That sense of assurance goes up and down. Of course, obviously, I'm thinking of the assurance that you have when it comes to your relationship with God. How is that assurance for you? That sense of assurance that comfort, that sense of security. It has to do with questions like, do I really belong to him? Really? Do I really know him? And those are questions that 1 John has been dealing with throughout his letter. But as you've already heard, the passage today, I think, hits assurance in a more direct and personal way way. I think that John is going to help us understand assurance. He's going to shore up assurance by calling us to consider a few things, real simple, right? The nature of assurance. He has an interesting take on the nature of assurance here. The fruit of it, and then the power and presence of assurance. We'll start with the nature of that assurance. Look with me at verse 18. This sort of gets us rolling. Verse 18, he says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, that's no surprise to us. We've been over that ground already. This idea that John calls us to a life that is consistent, consistent with our belief. It can be no other way. One writer, I like the way that he puts it. He said, practice points to paternity. In other words, what you do shows where you come from. John says, bumping your gums is no proof of love. I had a drill sergeant that used to say that. Stop bumping your gums. Well, we like to bump our gums. Blah, 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 blah. We can talk a good game. Words flow from the mouth. That's the idea that John puts together there. Words flow from the mouth, but righteous deeds, loving your brother and your sister, that flows from truth. That's the idea. Truth meaning being in that fellowship with God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, 9, 10, all of those, or actually 7, 8, 9, 10. John says in the next verse, and here's the important thing to get, right? 
Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And then verse 19, he says, little, little phrase, little prepositional phrase, by this. That's loaded. That's huge. This loving your brother and sister, John says, by this, by that. He says, by looking at that concrete stuff in our life, by the actual practice of loving your brother and sister, by that practice meaning forgetting yourself to seek the good of another, or that willingness to give up that which you value in your life for the enrichment of the life of another. By that reality, John says, by this, we know. We know something. We know that we are of the truth. As we love in deed, in action, in accord with the truth, we know. We experience. There is that sense of knowing here, right? Not just, oh, I know. I have data. I know. I experience being of the truth. Or to say it another way, we experience that we belong to the truth. We experience that fellowship with God. We experience that we belong to Jesus. Take note, and I'm going to say this a few times throughout our time here. Knowing looks to something objective outside of you. That's why I said John it, his, the nature of assurance here, it's going to be kind of different and a little bit interesting and maybe even counterintuitive. But he looks to something objective outside of you, love. And then he looks to something, he's pointing us to something that we can feel, see, hear, touch. And it is with this knowledge, right, that we are of the truth, that we do something else. This is the second part of that little verse. And reassure our heart before him. Right? Reassure our heart before him. So we're taking this concrete stuff, right, that we can taste, touch, feel, smell, see. Right? We're looking at that. And it'll become clear as we go. Looking at that stuff and we're going, okay, yeah, that stuff. I, 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 we know, we experience as we do this, that we're of the truth. Now I take that and I do something with my little heart. I assure it. In his presence, that is, we reassure our heart before him. Right? The idea is that we're in his presence, wherever that is, which is everywhere, always. As we're in his presence, you pacify your heart. You soothe your heart. You put your heart at rest. You set your heart at ease. You can say to your heart, we're of the truth. 
we're of the truth. You say, look, heart. Loving my brothers and sisters. Holding fast to the fellowship. See? Don't listen to what the other voices say about you, that you're not a, you know, God is not there, and, you know, he doesn't love you, and you're not a part of him. We are, whatever. No, no, don't, don't listen to that. Look at this. See, you're of, you're of the truth. Now, it may be helpful to look at the broader context of this. This whole business of loving your brothers, just to keep in mind why John says that. Why John points to that. Like looking at his opponents. opponents. Listen to this. 1 John 2.19. I think this will sort of clear some ground if you didn't understand. Why does John keep pointing to loving the brothers and sisters? 1 John 2.19, he says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. It sort of has this, uh, what's this, uh, uh, Dr. Seuss kind of feel to it, doesn't it? The contrast of us, with us, that goes together. Of us, with us, not of us, out from us. He's contrasting these two. Of course, he's talking about the opponents, right? The Antichrist. These folks that went out, they're no longer with us. And what John is saying, hey, let's look at the criteria. That means that they weren't of us. Because if they would have really been of us, they would have stayed with us. But they didn't. They went out from us, so they weren't of us. It's something concrete, something we can see, taste, touch, smell. He's just doing the reverse when he's saying, look at you. John says, here is a concrete, objective test. Are you in fellowship with us? Not just this church. But are you in fellowship with us, those who hold to the apostolic faith and the communion of the saints? Here, loving brothers and sisters, are you there? That's a big question. You are, so John says, put your heart at rest. In that reality, you know you are of the truth. But that's not all. John gives us a little bit more because John knows our hearts, right? Our hearts are not easily satisfied. Your heart, your conscience will still have something to say to that. And I know, you know, most, if not all of us, will know what this is about, right? John says in verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, is anybody familiar with that? The condemning heart? Right. Your heart will rise up, sometimes rightly, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly. Your heart will condemn you. It'll say, you're not doing it right. Or maybe better, you're not doing enough. I don't know which way that goes for you. 
But we put our hearts at rest with this truth. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. That this whole book has been intended to encourage confidence shapes the way you read that statement. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Your heart condemns you, but there's good news. God is greater. That is to say, your heart is not the final arbiter here. Your heart does not have the final say in either direction, right? In telling you you're right or in telling you you're wrong. In neither of those does your heart have the final say. But that's where we need to stop for a second, right? Because that is where you struggle. Some of you, many of you, you struggle. Because it's hard for you to actually believe that. Right? It's actually the reverse. If we're to be honest, it's actually the reverse. Right? When my heart condemns me, my heart is greater and knows everything. We can get locked into that very easily. Right? Your, your, your heart is good at one-upping you. You're going to go, yeah, but what about this? And your heart's going to go, oh, yeah, but what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, I can explain that. Oh, I can explain your explanation. Your heart's really good. I mean, for, for most of you, I would say for most of you, your heart is so good at burying you alive. Just burying you. And for some of you, that is a mark of spirituality. Barely being able to breathe. Which is why it's so hard to let go of, right? Because if we feel like we could breathe, then that must mean something's wrong! If 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 I'm not just beating myself enough, then I, I can't be really, really walking with, if I don't really, really just feel horrible, then I, surely, I must not be doing something right as a Christian. But God is greater than your heart. He knows everything. And it's interesting how that that idea can be so distressing when it actually should be comforting. That God knows everything. I mean, maybe maybe that's why we want to bury ourselves, right? We just want to bury ourselves under all of this yuck. Because that's actually a little bit protective. Then we don't have to think of, maybe we can say, oh, I got there first, right? God didn't have to, God didn't have to see this because I saw it first. I'm, I'm admitting it. Right? It would be much more terrifying, maybe, perhaps, if we really 
allowed that thought to sink in that, oh, he knows all of it. He knows, all, he knows, he knows it better than you. Even when you thought you were right, he knows how even that got twisted. I mean, really, what if, what if, what if what's really true is you don't even know the half of how dark it is in there? You just think you do. But he knows. And because of that, you get stuff like this. Okay? Psalm 103, 11 through 14. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And then verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Because they're so great? No. 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that you are dust. He knows you better than you know you. And what does he give? Compassion, mercy. He knows how wrong you are, and he knows how much he has done for and in you because of that. And as you love your brothers and sisters, he's greater. He gives you assurance as you love. On the way, on the road, as we love, you experience the assurance that you're of the truth, and that comes from him. That's the nature of assurance. Here's the fruit of assurance. And then, I don't know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm taking a shot at this, right? I think this is sort of the way that it seemed like this fit. This fruit of assurance is twofold. First of all, the first fruit, right? Verse 21, he says, Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You have put your heart at rest. You're of the truth. God is greater than you, little heart. You've done all of that. That opens the way for you. You put your heart to rest in his presence, and now you have confidence in his presence. Confidence. Assurance gives rise to confidence. Confidence to what? To ask in prayer. That's implied in verse 22, the first part, and whatever we ask. You have confidence to stand before him, you have confidence to speak to him. You have confidence to seek from him. And you have that confidence because you belong to him. You're his children. The second fruit 
is the rest of verse, that part of 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. You have confidence not only to ask, but you have confidence that he hears. He listens. And you have confidence by listening, I say that you have confidence that he will give what you ask. Why does John go to prayer there? It's like we're sort of removing all of these barriers to being with him in his presence, and he goes to prayer. And I, this is the best that I could come up with, is perhaps it's because prayer gets at this, the, the most visceral way to express this relationship, this fellowship that we have with our God. I mean, that, that tenderness, that vulnerability, that accessibility, all of that is put on display in this, in this interaction that we have. The way is clear that we get to come face to face with Him, and we do, what we, do, do, we do what we do best with Him. You know what that is? You should all be saying, thank goodness, amen, yes, right? Because he's the creator and you're the creature. Right? You get everything from him. All of it. The beautiful thing here is you, this, it's okay, right? I mean, we're, you know, many of us are adults, you know, we got we to gotta be independent. Man, there's some, you know, it's good to be independent and responsible and all of these things, you know, and we don't act like little children. And it's okay if you're a child and you're acting like a children, that's okay. But this is one of those things where we don't want to forget we're children. We come needy to Him. Do you... Do you have this sense that God, the Father, longs for you to come and ask Him stuff? I mean, that's a way into this, right? I mean, is that, do you see yourself? It's okay that you have that confidence, that confidence in the... All, you know, every, all the writers would talk about this. And all, you know, the confidence that a little kid has to go jump into their parents' lap to ask for what's needed. Is that you? Is that the way that you see this thing? I think that's why he draws on prayer. But he goes back, right? He ties us back into what he's been saying beginning in verse 18 and 19. Notice the he brings out the causal link between our confidence and the objective criteria that supports our confidence because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And then in verse 23, and this is his commandment. It gets more specific, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Think about what this points to. There is a shift he goes from plural commandments in, at the end of verse 22. 
down to the singular commandment, but really it's a commandment with two aspects again to it, two pieces to it. One, believe in the name. Two, love one another. And he, and he says it in a particular way to emphasize that this belief is in this person, Jesus Christ, this person, Jesus, who this person is, the Son of God, who is also, in Jesus, the Messiah, believing in Him, in that name. What are we doing when we're believing in that name? And this is important, just stick with me on this, and we'll sort of kind of tie this up. This goes back to chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 1 John. We can't get away from that because this is sort of all part of the flow. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus who is the Messiah, sent by God, He is the one who satisfies for our sin. He's the one that removes our sin, remember that. He is the one who cleanses our sin, right? Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And He is the one who advocates for us when we sin. You notice the refrain there, sin, 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 sin. You could sort of picture you know, John, what John is saying here in like a little circle. I wish I had a diagram, right? You have Jesus, right? And the little circle with the arrow pointing to fellowship with the Father. That's good news. And that little arrow points to this in the circle, fellowship with one another. That's me and you loving one another. And that circle, and that, and that little, that we have another arrow that points back to Jesus. We get into this circle through Jesus because it's in Jesus that we get made these children of God. But we don't stop there, right? Jesus is our advocate. All the way through, as now we have fellowship with the Father, we're acknowledging all the while our sinfulness, which drives us back to Christ. And as we're celebrating this this satisfaction that Christ has made for us, his advocacy, his intercession. We recognize our connection to one another and we're loving each other, but we're not doing that very well all the time. And so, which sin, right? And so now we're going back to Jesus. And it's this over and over and over again. And within that circle, you know what sort of, you know what sort of arises? What John has just said, that confidence, that boldness to come before our Father. Over and over again, right? That is the life that we're habituated to. It's holding fast to Jesus and loving our brothers and sisters that fosters boldness to seek His presence and we can be confident that our Father will respond because we hold fast to Jesus and love our brothers and sisters. Lastly, John shows the presence and power of assurance. And this is a little bit cryptic, I know. Verse 24 says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. This abiding that he's talking about is that intimate fellowship. That intimate fellowship is experienced as we obey his commands. 
I love the way one writer put it. It says, God makes room for you in himself, and God makes room for himself in you as you obey. Jesus said something like this, right? We'll listen to him, we'll obey him, and he will come and, and the Father, he and the Father will come and make their home with us. This makes sense. I mean, I think it does, make, it, it makes a logical kind of sense that obedience right, is this, this way of relating to and engaging with God. Think about that. Right? I mean, it, there is no other context in which this relationship can be had I mean, you think of the only alternatives, right? Or think about this in just a regular relationship. The only alternatives to this relating and engaging are what, right? Either I'm just ignoring you or I'm pushing you away, right? That's the way it is with God. This way of relating and engaging. This is the way our relationship unfolds. And as we're relating to him and engaging him in obedience, we're speaking to him and asking, requesting. And he's responding. Do you get it? There is a a dynamic nature to this that makes sense. Obedience is a non-negotiable for that reason. Obedience is a non-negotiable as the people of God. But as we've been seeing throughout this letter, as you see throughout the New Testament, as you see throughout the Old Testament, this is not some sort of pull yourself by your own bootstraps and, you know, this works righteousness. That's not what this is. We live like this because he's made us his children. But here's that final point of assurance, God's presence and his power. We know, we, ab- we know that God abides in us, that he is present with us. How? By the presence of the spirit that he's given to us, his Holy Spirit. You want to be careful. John's been turning us to this objective, concrete stuff He hasn't stopped. This is not a turn. I think his Stott said this. John Stott said this. This isn't a turn to some subjective felt sense. Do I feel the Spirit moving inside of me? Right? That whole deep, deep, deep down in my heart thing. Is 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 that why he brings the Spirit up here? No, it doesn't seem to be the case. This, this gets further unpacked, really more in detail, the Spirit's work in chapter 4. But John points to this because the Spirit's presence with us is seen. It's seen. How is that? It's really simple. It's really simple. The Holy Spirit present with us empowers both both faith in Jesus the Messiah and love for your brothers and your sisters right? Right? You, 
the, the Spirit, okay, we'll state it positively. The Spirit's presence will put those things on display. That will be there. That it is an outgrowth. It's what the Spirit does. The Spirit points to Jesus. Fans into flame, faith in Jesus. And drives and organizes love for one another. It can be no other way. Because it must be that way, and it can't be that way without the Spirit. The Spirit's work in you. Assurance from beginning to end, I hope you've seen, is grounded in God. And assurance from John's standpoint does not call for us to take this sort of inward turn into what you all probably experienced at one time or another, that morbid introspection, getting lost inside of here. No, John is turning us in every way possible outside of us. He points us to the work of the Father through His Son. He points us to the work um, of, of His Son through the Spirit. And He points us back to Himself. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank You for this word that you've given to us. Again, we pray that you would you would help us. You would keep your promise. That you would help us to know, to experience that assurance that we have through your Son, by your Spirit. I pray that you would help us to know what it's like to have that assurance as we are loving. I pray that you would remove those obstacles, that we would not wait until uh, we get the momentum up, Lord, but that you would empower us to move out in obedience to you, loving our brothers and sisters. I pray that you would strengthen us, that we would point each other to you and to these works that you've called us to. In Christ's name, amen.